0: Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Zhang, a culture writer and critic.
1: This week we are discussing Superstore and the Ruth E. Carter episode of Abstract on Netflix. I'm going hyper specific this week, Jenny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so
0: how have you been? I've been okay. I finally started getting on the vaccine appointment hunting game and uh first attempt did not go so well i heard that there are some walk-ins potentially available at this big like arena um mm-hmm. sort of downtown in like detroit which is like where I am at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so we rushed down there Friday afternoon, only to get turned away right, you know, before we even pulled into the parking. There were just oh, way too many no. people. Yeah. I guess everyone probably found out about the same time I did, which uh-huh. makes sense. Yeah. Um, so like a two hour round trip wasted, um, in oh, traffic, no. but it's all okay because you know what? I wasn't able to get the shot, but my my mom just got her first shot <gasps> today at a Congratulations.
1: local pharmacy. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> we have always been mum hive, always yeah. and forever.
0: Talking about it way too much here, but... <sighs> yeah,
1: yeah. We are mother's daughters for real, for real. And I'm just, I'm so glad that she's gotten her first shot, man. I know.
0: And what about you, Pella? What, what have you been up to this week?
1: Well, because of the warm weather this week, yeah. and because of the fact that I'm too pussy to get on the train for non-doctors appointment related stuff totally understandable I uh, they've started putting up city bank ranks around my area because it's like oh. it's because of gentrification like straight up it's because <laughs> I live near industry city and like loads of families from Prospect Park just been like flocking to industry city because there's so much outdoor dining and there's such a oh, yeah, yeah and there's like Sunrise Mart and like Sahadi's and whatever so people do their groceries and then they bring their kids yeah. because there's so much like play area so it's just a whole bunch of like 30 40 some thing parents with their toddlers. Anyway, thanks to them, there's just a whole bunch of city bikes now. So I rode out a couple of times with my husband and it went well, but unfortunately, so people don't know this about me maybe, but I sound like I'm really tall. I understand that. I'm a top, (laughs) like I'm a top, so it's fine. But I I am unfortunately only five foot one, so...
0: (laughs) The problem it with doesn't that, feel it doesn't feel like that's your height, even when I see you like IRL. It's because I have this, a long torso just... and short legs, babe. <laughs>
1: uh, no, I mean it, it is. I also I also forget sometimes that I'm this short. Anyway, so city bike's standard height basically. It's like there's there's no small city bike, no big city bike, but you know you can put the seat down. Even when you put the seat down for me, my legs don't reach the floor, and um, um, I tried. Uh, On a couple of times I went cycling, it was fine, because we were just boundlessly going down one straight road. Uh, But then today I tried cycling in regular traffic in like a cycling lane, and I made it two blocks before realizing that if I continued, I'd probably end up killing myself trying to just mount my bike, literally just trying to get on my bike and not wobble wobble my way out of it which was a little bit disheartening i've got to say i did feel for like for a good hour or so afterwards like when i threw in the towel i felt like a fucking five year old man especially because my husband was like do you know how to cycle i'm like yeah yeah (laughs) i i cycled you know at uni in my first year i cycled all year um but i had a bike that fit me so yeah
0: uh yeah, that's... these city bikes—they need to—they need to get some uh, more inclusive height,
1: <laughs> yeah, sizing. This is the this is the diversity problem. Really, is uh, <laughs> <laughs> short people need small bikes? Um But anyway, <laughs> what have what have you been watching this week, Jenny? What's been on the docket?
0: Well, I have been watching for the past few years Superstore, which is on hulu and peacock i believe so superstore if you're not familiar with it it is one of those classic nbc sitcoms which i am still kind of a sucker for ever since like 30 rock and such the show was created by justin spitzer who was the showrunner for most of the series it stars america ferreira ben feldman um a whole lot of other people this ensemble cast as workers at a Walmart-like big-box store called Cloud9 in St. Louis, Missouri. So this show is not a newcomer. It premiered in 2015. It was supposed to have at least a seventh season, I think, but was unfortunately kind of prematurely canceled. So this final season, the sixth season, it was its last. Series finale just aired on March 25th, so I caught up with that. And I then told you to watch it, Felon. Mm-hmm. How far along are you? So I am either the sixth or the seventh episode of the first
1: season. And I remember texting you after I watched the pilot being like, I'm in. It's so good. <laughs> it's so, so good. And for what it's worth, I'm not, I'm not like an NBC comedy show multi person. Not really. Like mm. the last one that I watched was probably New Girl. Um, oh. and I don't even know if that counts. Does that count? Was that NBC or was that F- FX? I don't know. They all look the, the same similar. to me. <laughs> they're
0: the same. They're like yeah. the similar kind of. Like the multicam Yeah, comedy. a bit of like a comfort show. Yeah. Um, get some quips in there. Get some, you know, good looking people who are like in some sort of friend, family, workplace mm-hmm. kind of thing. Confines, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all the same thing.
1: But I loved, um, I really did love this quite a lot. And Oh, tell me more. It's so quintessentially American. And that's my favorite thing about it. I think the thing that, like, the the reason why The Office was so funny when it came out in the UK, the first iteration of it, was because mm-hmm. it was such a gray area of people's imagination of creativity in terms of, like, what they would actually care about. There are so many jobs like the ones that you see in The Office, and yet, because of the writing, because of the quality of it, because of this, like, dynamic and the ensemble cast, it just turns out like, you just want to hang out with these people. And it's like a big box store is quintessential America. And, you know, it's St. Louis, Missouri. It's not one of the bicoastal states. It's not even one of the biggest cities in the the country. Mm -hmm. And yet I wanted to hang out with everyone. And the jokes are actually really funny. Like, I was (laughs) laughing out loud, like, more than I thought I would be, I've got to
0: say. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you kind of go in with... Maybe not super high expectations because it, it seems like a bit of a humble premise. But you're right. This is kind of like quintessential America. Like it's where else do we have this size of just like commercial activity, like generic big box retailers, mm-hmm. Um, people working minimum wage to them, just like a wide variety of people mm-hmm. like across race, gender, ethnicity, educational background, all sorts of people who end up in the same place. That they don't really want to be in, like anyone who's worked retail or like the, these got kind of minimum wage jobs, they'll probably tell you like, well, overall, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, but oh, you know, still like by being forced to be within the, these confines of the, this job that you need to survive, kind of the most unexpected relationships can form like relationships and, and friendships or just interactions and with other people.
1: Yeah. And
0: so much does go wrong with retail. Have you, yeah. have you, wo- have you ever worked in retail? No, but yeah. tell me, have you? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> tell me about those experiences. So I have seen
1: basically every walk of retail. Retail is a trip. And the reason why is because <laughs> of the types of people that you meet and the types of customers that you meet. That's like TV gold like yeah. just relationships and like the conflicts that you have with different the, of the either the people that you see every day or the the people that walk into your life and then leave it's just perfect like you have something for every episode um yeah. but it's just I laughed out loud so many times because of the fact that I had been in instances where you <laughs> like there's one episode in the first season where Garrett he says to never offer help because then you just get sucked in like quicksand. And yes. that's, that's, yeah, retail 101. And <laughs> also don't ever do anything that it like is more than what is requested of you. Cause then it's expected of you. And that's yes. also another thing. And then, you know, you've always got that overachiever that takes the job too seriously, aka Dina. Just the fact that they had found these characters that if you've worked retail, you know, um, like they ring true and they ring a little bit too true. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. the entire comedy of it.
0: Yeah, I also really like that it is, it is a workplace comedy, but it's, it's rare in that it is about, you know, the setting, these minimum wage earning essentially like working class and mm-hmm. all the ways in which capitalism, corporate greed and neglect and like, mm-hmm a hostile sort of, like, customer base or an idiotic customer base, all of these scenes are sort of stacked against them Mm -hmm. um, to create these conditions in which, like, so much of it can be misery. Yeah. Like, the showrunner, uh, Justin Spitzer, he said in interviews that he never intended the show to be in, like, a quote-unquote sort of issues TV Mm. show, but because the show is, like, so focused on its characters and their lives, it kind of has no choice but to... include all of these issues. Definitely. Like you can't create a, a show about people who work in a Walmart like store without also touching upon all these things that affect their lives, including, you know, I really love there's like a unionization mm-hmm. attempt. That's like one of the really great arcs in the series. Mm-hmm. There are things about like a living wage, healthcare and how fucking shitty the healthcare is in this country and yeah. like offered by their employer. Um, racism, gun control, uh, one of the best arcs I think is about immigration. Mm. Um, I think you'll get to it later in the seasons, Helen, but yeah, you know, one of the employees is revealed to be an undocumented immigrant who gets, um, detained by ICE as sort of an intimidation or retaliation tactic Mm. by their corporate overlords. And it just like, it felt so visceral and almost like radical on screen Mm -hmm. at the time. It's just like, I don't know how many shows approach that and approach it with the same level of kind of like humor but cynicism at the same time without turning it into like too much of an overly sentimental like this is the the special episode where we educate you about these issues yeah well it's funny that
1: he said that he didn't expect this to be an issues thing when yeah uh the big box store is the encapsulation of american culture down yes. to its economy, the way that it functions, the way that it affects mm-hmm. us people. <laughs> like, I don't understand why it wouldn't be, because this right. is this is literally... And it, what you said about how it's still kind of taken in stride by keeping it light, again... What is that, if not the most American thing ever, where you are faced with constant terror <laughs> of <Yeah. laughs> debt or your life ending and not being able to, like, in, your financial life crumbling before you and for you to just have to have no choice but to pick yourself back up again and, I don't know, yeah. crack a joke, basically, Um right. as opposed to, you know, out and out revolution, which... <laughs> should have happened a hundred times over up up until now, but it's just, it's toothless. It's designed to be toothless because of the hyper-bright fluorescent lights, (laughs) basically. So, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine any professor that is studying American society and socioeconomic uh, problems to, like, just cherry-pick any one of the episodes in this and just be like, and
0: what have we learned now (laughs) Right (laughs) from this? Yeah, because they literally... You know, these things happen every Mm -hmm. single day, all across the country. You know, you don't get maternity leave from, like, your employer. You know, you're, like, a cashier or something like that if you work a part-time job. I mean, all these things happen. And to see it on screen in this way is really... It's, like, both comfort and, also like, a comfort show in that you love the characters and you want to hang out with them. um, But also a little bit unsettling at the same time because you see so much of the stark reality reflected back yeah. in you which is normally something i think some people watch tv to escape well from. what is tv without fantasy yeah it's like bleakly reflective of reality in the yeah. way that things like don't become some sort of like revolution or something like that or like you know at the very end um i don't want to spoil too much but there's a moment where you know jonah played by ben feldman he's like you know is this really how we're gonna let things end like can't we like fight do something more and you know a lawyer who he's seen at the time she's like no kind of That's it. That's kind of how it is for you. And it turns out that it is pretty much that way. That's how things Mm -hmm. end. So yeah, it's not like a, it combines the fantasy, I guess, of like the workplace family with the reality, the grim reality of like what it's like working here right now in the US in this time and age. So yeah, I am definitely looking forward to seeing your thoughts like as you progress through this, but I also want to ask you, of course, you know, since it is a sitcom, there is still a lot of humor, mm-hmm. a lot of, like, emotion, and, like, some character development and, like, relationships, interactions with yeah. each other. So, who is your favorite character? So, uh,
1: it's gotta be Garrett. Okay, okay. yes. he's just he the funniest. Yeah, he's simply the funniest person there. I will say that he's also very handsome, so that helps. Um <laughs> But I also do like Ben Feldman's character, Jonah, just because mm-hmm. I think Ben Feldman's cute. <laughs> like... That's also an undeniable truth. Yeah, change. I am a very vapid person. What can I say? Um no, he's great just because like Ben Feldman in general is such a great comedy actor, but Garrett's facial expressions just deserve all of the awards. <laughs> like he's so good. Yeah,
0: yeah, how about you? Who's who's your favorite? Well, I I love Garrett a lot too. I'm also pretty fond of Jonah. I think like it, as you progress in the series, mm-hmm. it becomes like clear and clear I think that he is in many ways, like not the heart, but like a heart mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. series, you know, how much some of the the deeper relationships revolve around him or how much he pushes for things to get better. Like he genuinely wants things to improve um, for his fellow workers. I was I, I was really happy to
1: for, for them to mention why, like in the first season, why he was even there. Because yeah. you could tell that there was going to be this ongoing tension of him being a little bit different than everybody else. Um, right. And, you know, that's like, that's both race and class. And the reason why I'm sure they, they get into every single person as to why they're working there. But, um, America Ferreira's character, Amy and Jonah, we find out why they're there, uh, pretty early on in mm-hmm. the season. One, <laughs> bless her, Amy got pregnant at a young age and had to basically work to support her family and then jonah mm-hmm. is in a shit ton of academic debt <laughs> so and it's just it's interesting because these are both very realistic reasons as to why someone would be at a box uh, big box store for like 10 years like amy is um and then also why someone like jonah would would begin there that realism is really very refreshing to me
0: yeah. it really is yeah yeah for sure. And, you know, speaking of Amy, I wanted to touch on it a little bit. Um, I don't think it's like too huge of a spoiler since you might have even seen it in like, you know, news write ups and whatever. But the last season, incidentally, is a season in which Amy is largely absent. They write her out of the show because I think America Ferreira had other projects to hmm. work on. Um, and so it was also an interesting sort of case study and like similar to like the, the American, uh, office. Like, how does a show continue to exist and function when its main character, mm-hmm. uh, is no longer there? And how did you feel about the it? The ants. I think it's it's always hard because especially so much of the, the sort of pathos and like sympathy and sort of greater depth comes from Amy's character and how she just like is the focal point of the show. But I also loved seeing the ensemble cast get to like stretch their wings mm. a little bit more, like step more into the stop- spotlight. Um, people like Dina and, and, and Sandra. And it's also like, I think, helped by the fact that the last season reflected covid um oh. like they have the pandemic in there which normally i think i would i don't really like it when you know shows and movies when they tr- have tried to incorporate this well yeah um, i mean it, for,
1: for, for the most part not a lot of people have been reacting well to it like i think gray's anatomy did that mm. and it didn't really seem to work like a lot of the fans didn't really like it how was it for this yeah
0: one? it definitely was like at times you could see like okay this is a, Obviously, this took place early on in the pandemic. This was stage B or whatever. Like, there are times when it seemed a little bit dated. But I think ultimately, thematically, like, it's hard to argue that this is, like, not a perfect match because it's, like, essential workers, right? Or uh, grocery workers, yeah. people who we deem essential and, like, heroes and everything, yeah. but then who are actually just treated like complete shit by customers mm-hmm. and by their employers, once you know it's nobody really cares about them anymore yeah so it really like towards the end it just like swung a huge punch in terms of just like laying bare all the realities the hypocrisy the apathy the negligence visit like upon these people who literally kept the stores running kept everyone in the country fed mm-hmm. and how much they have to deal with shit on top of shit yeah um and that is the reality of being this kind of worker uh so i thought that was although it felt shoehorned at the beginning it really it really made sense by the end of it but yeah otherwise it's a nice show there's some unevenness i think it's gonna be remembered as like one of the good sitcoms from this era like out of this whole batch that you know the office brooklyn 99 like uh, new girl whatever um this is one that i think people really should take a little bit more notice of mm-hmm. since i know the ratings for it weren't great but i hope that people warm to it as it becomes kind of more of like a catalog show like something that people can stream hopefully forever on like hulu or whatever other platform yeah
1: it's that perfect balance between actually kind of intelligent in its comedy and also comforting in that it isn't over intellectualized it's just like it's just found that middle ground so well thank you so much for the recommendation i'm really excited to make my way through superstore
0: And now your turn. What did you watch this week? This week I watched an episode of
1: Abstract, which is a documentary series on Netflix. And it basically each episode highlights artists in the field of design. And it can be any kind of design. So it's, you know, shoe design, interior design, graphic design, illustration, toy design. And I drank up the first season of it I think a couple of years back when it when it first released very good highly recommend it um and mm-hmm. you can obviously depending on your on your interest in the world of design you could just Cherry pick because they are that none of them are connected to one another basically. Mm. So they released their second season. I'm not sure when, but I hadn't watched any of it and I clicked on the one that interested me the most, which was the episode on Ruth Carter, who is a costume designer. And I highly recommend watching this one as well. Like you can work your way backwards. It doesn't matter. Like you can watch season two or one. The reason why Abstract as a series really worked is because they like the production of it is really good in that they changed the style of the video to match the designer. Anyway, back to Ruth Carter. <laughs> so, um <laughs> if you don't know who Ruth Carter is, uh shame on you, eh. No, joking. You have to be very very much into film if you know who Ruth Carter is, but she is a costume designer that has designed for many iconic films that you, I am sure Basically, most of our listeners have watched. So School Days, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Amistad, Love and Basketball, Baby Boy, Selma, and of course, the thing that she's most famous for, Black Panther. And she won an Oscar for that in 2019. And she was the first black person to win that award of costume design. She is incredible. Her work and her library of work is incredible. So it's really cool to watch this episode about her you know, her influences and watch, you know, her process. That And that's the best thing about Abstract in general is like they really go into detail about the process of each designer. So to watch her process is incredible. She starts off with the script and then she starts off by talking to the cinematographer, the, the, the DP. And that is because she needs to know what each of the characters are going to be like. She needs to know what the scene is going to look like. And then obviously her conversation with the DP, how is it going to be lit? Where is it going to be? What What's the color palette that we're selecting from? And then she just kind of goes from there. And the skill of a good costume designer is to make sure that everything is really, really lived in. And, you know, she obviously with Black Panther, it's a little bit tough because it's a superhero movie. And, you know, what does lived in mean? But she pulls it off. And the fact that she created this world, so much of Black Panther and that creation of that world is about what each of the characters are wearing and like the gravitas that it gives to each
0: person. Anyway, you also (laughs) watched this yesterday, Jenny. What did you think about it? Yeah, it was really fascinating, especially, you know, as people who are interested in film, interested in the different parts of film, Mm -hmm. um, also interested in like art and design and fashion, all those things. It just kind of melds everything. And I thought it was fascinating to learn her background and how she really approaches it more from like a love of theater and film um, and cinema first, and then, you know, the clothes are just sort of the medium through which she expresses that love yeah. and that knowledge. Yeah, loved seeing her process, how she does so much research, mm-hmm. and then how, you know, that feeds into decisions like when she was talking about Black Panther and the way that the different, um, you know, some different fashions from like tribes in Africa, how she incorporates some of those elements or inspiration from those elements mm-hmm. into the costumes. Uh, it was really fascinating. And I learned quite a bit about her and I, I hadn't known her by name before, yeah. s- s- except, you know, this is a good opportunity, I think, to, to finally become more acquainted with the people who make movies happen behind the scenes. Definitely, And I, like you mentioned... It- I'm interested
1: in, in fashion. Like, I sound like a fucking dickhead when I say that, truly, but I am. <laughs> and it, it is because I, I adore the theatre of fashion, and I adore mm-hmm. how it creates that story within a garment of clothing. So mm-hmm. for costume design, it's basically the perfect marriage, because whether you are dressing someone who's, I don't know, like a single mother at age 40, lives in middle America all the way up until like you depicting someone in the 17th century you know that that accuracy that you need to have as a costume designer like the reason why Ruth Carter does so much research is because like you have to be accurate because that comes with the feeling of genuine uh story and it, obviously then people are convinced or people can't take their eyes away and people are just like salivating over that tableau of both like the way that the set looks and they're married with the characters and the way that they look yeah it's just i love it i like lo- this is one of my favorite parts of film and tv um and yeah. the reason why i love so many of the films that i love is because of, of the costume design straight up like obviously story i I call myself a screenwriter, I think nothing happens without the script, for sure. It's the most important thing. But, you know, it takes a village to make a film. Uh, it takes a village to make a film look good and look of high caliber. And so much of that has to do with people like Ruth Carter and co- other costume designers that are good at what they do, to really bring that all together. It's just yeah, it's amazing. Anyway, so the reason why this is my pick this week is just because it made me want to talk a little bit about the costume design and also other films and TV shows that we love and kind of talk a little bit about why we love them. So do you have a pick? um when
0: you gave me this little homework i did give you an assignment i'm so sorry (laughs) that's okay i i mean you kind of already had named most of the ones that i was like oh yeah i guess those are really neat costumes like the complete dummy i am the only one that i thought of that i has like stuck with me i guess throughout the years Mm -hmm. in addition to like all these other films that you already planned to talk about is um house of flying daggers uh directed by Jong yi mo starring Actors like Zhang Ziyi, Andy Lau, Takashi Kanashiro. That film, which I watched, I think, maybe I was in middle school. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It is really well known for its cinematography, but equally as important to the visuals, which are fucking gorgeous, yeah. is the costume design yeah. by, um, I believe the costume designer for this movie was Emi Wada. Mm. I'm a Japanese costume designer. Uh, but yeah, just like how, and there you can really see an example again of how the costume works in concert with the cinematography. Yeah. Which I'm sure was a similar process of collaboration. Just like how being in a, in a bamboo forest, like what do those greens look yeah, like? And oh how do you? make that match up with like the clothes that people are wearing and i can't really speak to the historical accuracy of these clothes i think that's supposed to take place in the tang dynasty Mm -hmm. but you know i think the the beauty and the i guess the point of doing so much research for these kind of things these these jobs these projects Mm -hmm. is so you can decide you know is this film is it like a historically accurate film are we aiming for historical accuracy or do i take everything that i know about this now mm-hmm. and do i make the deliberate decision to play with other elements or like throw historical accuracy out of the the window yeah
1: because um, because that, they, they yeah. are like fashion designers you know, they, they right. make these clothes. So you can recreate things from a certain time, but as a designer, you have to design a, a
0: complete creation. So, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely up There's for interpretation. definitely, like, the, the creativity involved. Yeah. yeah, and the actual, you know, fashion design. Um, so, yeah, it's like... So these like there's so much of it was about the fantastical I think. Yeah. And the the seductive and just like recreating this kind of dream of a world. Definitely. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this film for the story so much, which mm-hmm. I think I found a little bit weaker, but definitely if you love clothes, if you love cinematography, if you love any, just like a, a visual feast, uh, this is definitely one yeah. I would recommend. Yeah, for sure. So I,
1: the, the thing, I, I think part of the reason why not like a lot of people overlook costume design as like a thing that is very important to film and TV is because the, the, the point in which they are given awards, which are usually the Oscars, year after year, the Oscars biggest problem, it's not the biggest problem, definitely races, uh, the bigger problem. <laughs> However, um, you know, one of the issues is that they keep giving awards to, uh, period piece films a lot of the time. And I'm talking like mm-hmm. Western period piece films. Mm. So there's one part of it, of that, which is understandable, which is that it takes a lot of fucking work to make a corset and a whole fucking situation <laughs> that the girls were wearing back in the 17th, 18th century. Absolutely, it's a lot of work. However, a lot of these films look the same. Something like House of Flying Daggers is really interesting because it's not only in a different country, it's not in the West. It is also using colours that they don't usually use use for period pieces so it's always fun when you kind of stray a little bit outside of that box uh the handmaiden by park chan wook is also another film that i would mm -hmm. highly recommend you know we talk about erotic thrillers being dead uh that's an erotic thriller that is 100 the best thing that has come out um Mm -hmm. since you know the heyday of erotic thrillers but it's also visually so good i guess the the way that you know if a film or tv has really good iconic costume design is by gut checking halloween so who is wearing what in in halloween and like what have people been wearing at halloween over the years you know oh that's so funny so
0: i mean this year wandavision
1: 100% wandavision are you kidding me for sure especially because (laughs) you have you know couples halloween is like a whole fucking thing um and then you know vision is so you just put red (laughs) red and gold paint on your face you're done but like you see so many repeats with with halloween outfits that are pulled from from characters because the the clothes do make the man or the woman. Um I'm going to list off some films that mm-hmm. I think have some of the best char- the best costume design. Um and I hope by the end of this list you will all understand. But yeah, so my personal favorite is the Matrix trilogy and also Romeo and Juliet and both of these films were costume designed by the same designer, Kim Barrett. We've got uh a lot of the Wes Anderson films, and also Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola, these mm. films were designed by Milena Cananero, another iconic costume designer. The reason why you love Wes Anderson, don't get me wrong, the man knows how to shoot a film, but those outfits, buddy. Oh my god. So there's that. There's also Phantom Thread, Mark Bridges. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You've got Her, Her, the, you know, remember that oh. film? <laughs> Uh, there's obviously Grease. There's obviously Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. There's obviously Clueless, who is Mona May. There's also Fifth Element, Jean-Paul Gaultier, which I love when designers, like fashion designers, then get into a bit of costume design. Oh, it's really nice. So yeah, when they, when they're just gonna take a break from spring, summer, and winter <laughs> fashion shows and just do a little film. So Fifth Element is iconic, obviously. Devil Wears Prada and also Sex in the City are Patricia Field. Mm. That's one of the most iconic costume designers ever, I would say. And then, um, obviously pretty woman by Marilyn Vance, a single man by Ariane Phillips. I thought that was interesting because a single man is by the fashion designer Tom Ford, but he actually, I guess, took a bit of a step back and let an actual costume designer do her thing, which is cool. Um, there's basic instinct, you know, the standard white dress. Um, and then when we step into the world of TV, what's interesting about TV as opposed to film, with film, you get to see a character through their clothes pretty quickly. It, it runs pretty hot in a film because you've got a limited amount of time. And their character mm-hmm. arc, you see that progression much faster than you see in a film, where uh, in TV, where it's a little bit more of a slow drip. So with something like Breaking Bad, there is the color theory in Breaking Bad, where each of the characters have a different color that represents them and where they are in their mm-hmm. journey. Um So that was a really good costume design trick, basically. We've also got the Americans, obviously, with all the wigs, <laughs> all the wigs that they wear, all the coats that Kerry Russell wears. And then you've got Mad Men. Who could ever forget Mad Men? Oh, of course. Peggy, especially, is a really great... Like, if you're doing a Mad Men rewatch... Uh, just watch, Ke- just watch Peggy's outfits from season one yeah. all the way up until season, like the very last episode. Just the way that, so Betty is stuck in the fifties and the way that they-, they depict that is just her like really tight waist, A-line skirt. And then with Joan, Joan really loves r- her reds and her greens, like her jewel tones. And she loves a big statement necklace as well. And then with Peggy, she really likes a bow. Like she likes a good collar situation and that never changes like they have their taste because women don't really change their like the things that they love the things that they think suit them uh they don't really stray too far away from that but it does change as they get older and you really see that in peggy especially through her her hair as well but it's really cool like these things are amazing queen's gambit also a lot of checks on her dresses if you notice, that is by design. She is meant to mimic um the chessboard. The chessboard. Yeah. And then obviously oh. the last episode, this is not a spoiler. It's just, I'm just telling you the outfit, but she is wearing all white to depict the white queen on the chessboard as well. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of Queen's Gambit Halloween this year. Oh, so many. Yeah, like that little red wig is going to put in work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, the nanny is back in the news circuit right now because it's coming out on HBO Max in April, like the full library. Uh, but the mm. nanny, Fran Dresser, like there's a reason why she is the iconic nanny is because of her outfits. And those outfits oh are God. picked by a costume designer who is Brenda Cooper.
0: So, so much of like fashion right now, I think it can be directly traced to like the nanny type style of, of outfits. Definitely. Um, like really. So,
1: yeah, so many people love her and I personally also would love to dress like her. It's just, it's not to my taste. I'm like, I'm such a boring kinfolk bitch. Um... <laughs> so yeah anyway basically i hope by hearing me list out these films and tv and looks and characters that you understand and ruth Carter was the the spark that just made me want to dedicate this part of the podcast to my ode to costume design yeah shout out to costume design
0: for having halloween by the balls basically (laughs) absolutely and we'll we'll try to include some uh, like photos from these different films and tv that Pella mentioned uh in our newsletters yeah feel free to check that so
1: yeah let me know if there are any films that i'm missing let me know if you have a costume designer in mind that you know you love if there's any films or tv that you think we should check out because of their costume design i would love to hear it this is a shit that i nerd out over so yeah And that's all we've been watching this week for Culture Notes. Lil Nas X's video, baby. The video for Call Me <laughs> by Your Name. Have you seen this video, Jenny?
0: Of course. The day it dropped. This is hard to describe as anything except immaculate. Oh, iconic. It's iconic. Yeah, I guess you could really call it any of those yeah. things. <laughs> but seriously, it's a work of art. Mm-hmm. And just like, I don't know. I'm so I feel so weirdly, you know proud of whatever he's done mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. from like a poster he he's just a merely another poster like all of all the rest of us to this huge star with so much creative you know potential and daring and real bangers like this song is good. yeah,
1: and he really is an artist of this generation for sure, yeah I love this video so much because you know you and I we grew up in the era of like of peak music video and the like the amount of money that was being poured into that music video like MTV I didn't grow up on MTV but like when I went to a friend's house or a cousin's house that had it like I would just be watching the videos all day because there was so much thought put into the looks into the costume into the into the like the story that was being told you could not separate the song from the video there's not so much of that anymore not really like, I think Cardi B and Megan the Stallion have done a really good job of just like creating looks as well within videos. But in terms of like the narrative and the drama of the music video, like this, this video, the Call Me By Your Name video, really did it for me. It was just ticking all the yeah. fucking boxes and it really reminded me of like Missy Elliott, you know? Yeah. So. It looked so expensive. So expensive. This thing must have cost a fortune. Yeah. And I don't I don't like idea. I don't know if it was that expensive it, it like it's just the fact that there was clearly thought put into this into like the the wholeness of the of the video so
0: yeah and I think he tweeted like you know his notes from storyboarding or whatever and so like he definitely it was if not like the main person in, in control of this he definitely like put in a lot of creative input into the video that he made mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. And in case you haven't seen it, I mean you should see it. Yeah. Um but it's like a sort of garden Eden, um, heaven and hell sort of concepts. And it involves him, you know, Lil Nas X in like amazing looks across the board, mm-hmm. um, and lap dancing, giving a lap dance for Satan. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's pretty much. How it yeah. is and yeah Yeah, pretty much. It, and then he great. kills Satan at the end. Oh yeah, he he kills Satan. He basically he basically falls from heaven and uh, his ascent to heaven and kills Satan. Yeah, it's the
1: best. The um the one thing that I've gotta say about one of his influences, not to bring it back to what I was just fucking waffling about, but like Ruby Rod from the Fifth Element is basically one of the inspirations mm. for one of his looks in this. One thing obviously that has happened because of this is the uh the stupid commentary about The influence of the pop star and obviously about homosexuality and the effect that that might have on a bunch of fucking idiots that have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Mm. So, uh, because of, because of that messaging, the heaven, hell, and then because of the fact that Lil Nas X is gay and for the first time, I think ever since he kind of got famous, has really found room to express his gayness and and his queerness in the way that he wants to do it, like, loudly, which, as a gay man, is a revolution... Like, for all gay people, to be overly sexual is a revolutionary act to show affection in public, for example, all the way down to, like, you know, there's a reason why Pride, you get to just show off as much skin as you can because that is a revolutionary act. That is flipping off the respectability... Of what gayness might mean to like a wider audience. I don't think this would have been that big of an issue if he, if some of his songs weren't so popular with the young audience. But of course, that's what they've used to kind of weaponize this video
0: against him. They say like he's influencing our kids, um, you know, coaxing them to like devil side or whatever. It just, it's still so incredible just like his origin story and i can't believe old town road was so it's been like a a year a couple years since old town road um but yeah like you said he's really like he's taking his sexuality beyond like his tweets his tiktoks his social media he's making it part of his art in the loudest way possible it's pissing off some people i guess Mm -hmm. but also like there's been so much i i've seen such a, a lot of like huge support for him yeah. and he has one of the the loudest fan bases i think ever and is such a master of just like being on the internet being online oh, yeah. as like a person of this like young generation yeah um it's really like masterful and i i don't know it's it's really exciting to watch too. yeah and this is why we love you know artists and what
1: they do is like when you can use that creativity in a way that excites and accelerates and makes you feel like you're watching something new but also it's reminding you of everything that you loved from back when um it's it's perfect it's it's such a such a great you know like to me it's like the the call to like bring back the music video that we
0: knew um but yeah. Oh, you gotta start watching... You gotta start getting into K-pop. That is where... Oh, I know that's where it's a at. A lot of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. lot of music yeah. videos are at. Yeah, like
1: the huge dance numbers and the, the choreography. It's like it's like a whole thing. The looks. The looks. So many yeah. looks. No, totally, totally. I should start getting into K-pop. I never did, though. I never got into it. I don't know why. <laughs> uh,
0: not too late. It's never but too late. Also,
1: <laughs> if it's if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. You know? I, I don't even know if it's my thing or not. I think it's just that I... Like I, I just decided about five years ago that I like I'm an auntie now, so I don't listen to anything <laughs> earlier than 2014. <laughs> so mm, so that, that's right. kind yeah. of where I'm at, which is bad. I think that has something to do with my deteriorating mental health. <laughs> but hey, we'll uh, talk about that another time. Yeah, another episode. Yeah. But this, has, I mean, this video has been great for my mental health. It has really put me in great spirits. The summer is here, baby.
0: yeah
1: and love the memes around love them oh my god yeah did you see the one with uh Florence Pugh holding her mouth in shock in Midsommar and then the next (laughs) the next picture the next frame is uh Lil Nas X like flying down the pole in the video (laughs) it's perfect
0: that's really like the the best shot from the whole thing I haven't seen that one but I have I've been too busy admiring the one with uh Bernie Sanders looking up and again seeing Lil Nas is (laughs) like shooting down the pole <laughs> it's the best that <laughs> meme of just him shooting down the pole like oh my god it's gonna have a very long life yes
1: definitely so yeah watch that video if you haven't already and that is been what we've been watching this week if you are watching anything that you think we should check out please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com we have gotten a couple of requests this week so i'm gonna start working my way through them don't worry if you submitted, um, you can also just ask us or DM us at criticism is dead or one word on Twitter and Instagram for extended show notes, uh, including the homework that I just gave everyone about costume design. Uh, please subscribe to criticism is as always. Oh love. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple podcasts. Please tell a friend about us and we will be seeing you next week. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pellen Keskin Liu and Jenny Jijang. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.